In the river with a saturated liver And I wish I could forgive her But I do believe she meant it When she told me to forget it And I bet you will forget it When you find me in the morning Wet and drowned And the wood gets round I'm going down I'm going down Welcome to Friars in the Farm Podcast I'm Donovan and with me is Roy I'm excited Dude, this is You know, Joey reached out to me I think it was last year uh, Via Twitter and said Hey, I'd love to come on and talk Padres baseball it was just some dude from Johnson City that I'm like, okay, that's fantastic, Johnson City guy. Um, yeah, and then you're like, hey, yeah, this this guy Joey Zanaboni wants to talk to us. I'm like, Joey Zanaboni, <laughs> I know that name. Because how can you forget that name? Yeah. First of all, because I picture I picture the, the 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 big van driving around the ice rink. Even though I know that's not what he wants to be associated with, the Zamboni, but no Zanaboni. And, and I you didn't know yet that he was such an unusual cat no. in the world of sports broadcasting. No. And, uh, you know, having the Johnson city, having my vacation kind of centered around the Appy league at the end of this last September, I was like, yeah, sure. Great. But not now, <laughs> you know, and uh, the season went on this whole last season went on. Um, and, you know, then you started throwing stuff on the agenda and I'm like, holy cow, this guy's really cool. And, and it goes to show that like, that's a hidden gem. Like he is a hidden gem, a hidden talent in in the Appy League, and like he needs to get that into mainstream media. That needs to, like his style of broadcasting. I think has to be almost has to be done these days to catch the attention of the younger people, to catch the uh, ear of people that are kind of like you know the lost form. And he talks about it, the lost form of broadcasting. You know what it kind of made me think of now that it's all kind of coming back together for me. He was talking about, and you'll hear in the in the in the interview, he was talking about Van Gogh and Einstein and people that do different things. Frank Zappa is somebody that comes to mind. Yeah. That back yeah. in the day, he did stuff that was just so unusual, both musically and like from a presentation standpoint, and the what they would do on stage. Everything was just weird. Yeah. And then you fast forward 20, 30 years, and you see other groups and bands and more mainstream acts incorporating the stuff that was considered such an oddball thing back yeah. then. Yeah. So I we hope nothing but the best for the guy that he goes on and has an amazing career and someday we're, you know, watching Major League Baseball and hearing his voice. Uh, but one way or another, like you said, I, I hope that his 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 style, his energy, his enthusiasm winds up seeping into the game. So then we have less, you know, Bob Brenly's out there like, oh, uh, you you gotta you gotta lay down a bunt here because you gotta move the runner over to second base. No. I mean, come on, get out of here! No, like shave me, shave me like the domesticated sea bass. Oh my god, you guys, it's just it's hilarious. He's um, he comes across really dry, but there's lots of, lots of humor, lots of fun stuff in this interview, and uh, it is excellent. So you guys, listen to this. It's front page news going down, going down. Joy Zanaboni is currently a broadcaster at Johnson City Cardinals at St. Mary's University, but his life's passion isn't confined to simply calling the game on the field. He wants to make the game accessible and fun. Perhaps the Zanaboni experience is best framed by his mission statement. I want to be the first real millennial sports announcer who reflects the endless optimism, relentless anxiety, and glorious randomness of this generation. 
We were raised on iPhones and smart toilets and Family Guy. Mine is not a toast to the world as it was, but as it is. Welcome to Fires in the Farm, Joey. Yes, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, too. So, so I got to ask you, is Joey Zanaboni, is that a stage name or were you blessed with an incredibly whimsical name from birth? <laughs> No, my name's Joe Williams, and that's just a that's just a pseudonym that I've used through the years. No, I'm kidding with you. My name is Joey Santaponi, and uh, yeah, I don't do hockey uh, for pretty obvious reasons. There's just too much too much of that that I've gotten. Probably 95 percent of the people I've met in my life. You guys are part of a very small contingent who don't call me Zamboni, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's now it's it's 100 percent real. Okay, so I I looked on I I checked out your LinkedIn page. I did a little bit of homework, uh, and I see you got got your bachelor's degree in English language and literature slash letters. Were you interested in broadcasting back in college? But then I have to ask you about that title of the of the of the degree. Letters. Yeah, I think that was just a LinkedIn thing on letters. <laughs> I, 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 we didn't do a lot of letters uh, that I recall, but I was an English major, literature and creative writing. And uh, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I really wanted to get into sports announcing. And then kind of when I got into college, I, I just sort of started to branch out, I guess, a little bit. Fiction writing, poetry writing, that was really my concentration uh, in college. I have a couple of uh, poetry chat books that are uh, really depressing. If you guys are ever looking to, you know, just fall down into a dark abyss, I can send you guys a couple of copies. And uh after college, it just sort of dawned on me, you know, I, I need to I need to find a way to at least explore that dream. And so I started doing it kind of in the year after I graduated college and had been doing it for about six years in the sports announcement side now. Nice. So, OK, so baseball is a slow moving game, typically called by reserve professionals with carefully manicured dulcet tones to their voice and a cautious oh. eye on the game's traditions. You fly against all of that. Um <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing to try to change that whole thing to make it more interesting, exciting game for younger fans? Well, you know, I mean, I think in any art form, it's just uh, kind of a question of what do you do? What are you trying to do? Imitation? Or are you trying to do your own thing? And so, you know, I, I think that when I first started really broadcasting games, I worked in a summer collegiate league in 2014 and have done professional and college games since I you know I was so afraid of like saying something crazy and saying something weird or yeah. stupid and I was so worried that the you know the 45 fans that are listening to the game were going to <laughs> you know take out the pitchforks and roast me and in this in this you know world that we live in in the society that we live in we kind of live in that gotcha culture of of sort of a, a surveillance of each other and, and there's a fear of saying something wrong and I had a few experiences through the years of doing it uh, that made me realize that, you know, so much of sports announcing today is about saying things to try to make the audience comfortable. And in so doing, you make them uncomfortable because they've heard it a million times before. Yeah. And so I asked myself, what if I, by leaning into the uncomfortable, actually could make my audience more comfortable by making my work more accessible. And I guess, it, you know, from working at a couple of colleges and working with a lot of young people, I, I just realized, you know, kids today aren't really that interested in Red Barber. You know, they're not really as interested <laughs> in Mel Al. 
<laughs> well, and I, you know, I've read a couple of Red Barber's books, and I, you know, I've listened to classic calls and classic games that his generation did, and I mean, I appreciate it. I'm I'm 28 years old. I'm on the older side, I guess, of the of the 90s and of the millennials, but. Uh, you know, kids who are 18 to 20 today or 23 today, they don't, they just don't care as much about that stuff. They want to have stuff that they can relate to. And so from there, it wasn't, it wasn't too long before I was saying, uh, coming in hotter than a kerosene lamp in an Ariana Grande video. You gotta <laughs> and to me, that's perfect because it, it combines the old school, the 1800s feel of the kerosene lamp with the 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 raw energy of a of a great ariana grande video right. so that that was pretty much the philosophy behind it so let's give our listeners a little bit of taste of what what he's talking about here let's kick the tires let's light the fires joey zettaboni here for you well dressed and well caffeinated as always check me for an absorbent torso and a crush on sandy cheeks because i'm happier than spongebob squarepants oh how about that pick from lopez Gorgeous! Either some paint chips just got in my salad and I'm seeing double, or the Argos turn two. Outside corner, Maddox shaved it like a test mannequin at a barber college. Kuchera coming in hotter than a corn chowder picnic in a crawl space. Okay, so where do you come up with this stuff? Do you have like a pad of notes sitting in front of you, or does it just like spill out of some weird <laughs> crevice in your brain? Yeah, well, a magician doesn't reveal a secret, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too much into it. <laughs> suffice it suffice it to say, I'll tell you what really has inspired me. There was a guy uh, on the Texas Airhawks. I worked for them from 2016 to 2018. Independent team outside of Dallas, and his name is. His name was, and still is, as far as I know, James Russell, pitched in the major leagues for about six years. And, you know, you watch a lot of independent pitchers, and then I saw him, and he was one of the guys who had, you know, the most major league experience that I had seen to that point. And one of the things I noticed was that all of his pitches came out of the same tunnel, and I had never really explored that. I had never really understood what that meant. And, I mean, he threw everything. He threw a fastball, sinker, curveball, changeup, slider. And I think that for me, you know, my pitches, my little lines, they're kind of the same thing. They come out of the same formula. So they're, uh, I mean, I kind of gave it away there. It's, you know, making the audience uncomfortable would be part of it. Um, but I have, I have a way of trying to take those baseball cliches like smashing it or living in the gap or uh, coming in hotter than. And I try to take, you know, as, as you do with metal, you salvage it and then re sort of configure it into something else. And I think that's really kind of the heart of what I, what I'm getting at. I don't come up with all of them on the spot. I think about them beforehand and we'll try to work them out, but I don't just write them. I rewrite them several times. I know the way that one tiny word or one, one uh, little clause can change everything about a phrase or a, or a line. And so it, there's an art to that as well of knowing how to construct them and then when to use them. And I think that's something that I've just, I've just worked at it. There's not really any secret. I just work at them. I just spend, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, doing other stuff that you do, like filling out your square book or researching the players. I just work at the lines. I just carve out time during the day to try to sit down and, and figure them out. And, you know, 
some of them work better than others. And if they don't work, you know, I just let them, that's what I love about, well, that's what I love about this job. You know, people don't, <laughs> people don't, you know, usually remember the bad ones. Uh, they just, they just get lost in the flow of the game. Well, and do, so, you know, you're in Johnson city there, you're in a pretty rural part of the country. Do, um, are they some are they regional? Do you use some of them too? I don't know some of the teams in the. Do you use some of the those words to mix in against some of the team or to kind of give them a hard time? Or my big question is, do you, you know, have you said something that's like, wow, very offensive to maybe that could be, um, or at least nationally you would think is a very conservative and very, um, you know, part of the country. Well, they put me on the front page of the sports section about a month after I got to Johnson City, so it worked out pretty well. It, it was, you know, I mean, they seemed to really like it. Um, no, I don't really tailor them to anybody because I think anytime you do one of those teams, you know, uh, the people who are listening are from all over the country, and and that's kind of the romance of the minor leagues or the summer collegiate leagues is. You know, every weekend there's a different set of parents or friends who come and say, oh, we're from Wisconsin or we're from California. We came all the way here and, you know, we've been listening to you every night. And, you know, that's so I, I don't know that there's as much. It's interesting because I think the listening fan base is usually nationwide. Now, I mean, you walk into the stadium, you see most of the people are from from that area. Yeah. But, well, you know, if I've ever said anything um offensive now i i don't think i've ever said anything offensive in fact i mean if you actually really kind of dig down into my into my backstory you'll find that um i guess a lot of my quote-unquote origin story begins in 2015 i was with the orem owls and angels affiliate nice and i got the i got the you know job and i flew out there and i sort of it's like well you know here we go and i walked into the office and they said they wanted to do a promotion at the stadium called caucasian heritage night Oh, geez. and I told yeah, and I told him, I just said, listen, I know I just walked in the door here this week, but <laughs> oh this sounds God. like a terrible idea. Well, it sounds like an awful, awful idea. Please don't do it. And the response was, um, you know, it was pretty messed up. They decided to try to plow forward with it. And eventually I resigned from the team. And, you know, I, I had, had a really rough experience of, you know, trying to balance my professional ambitions versus my ethical standards. At the time, I was working at a historically black college during the academic year in Mississippi. So I knew I could never go back and face yeah. uh, the people that I worked with every day yeah. there if I felt like, well, I was complicit in Caucasian Heritage Night. Um, and so I took a stand and I really tried to do my best to stop it and to explain why I thought it was wrong. Um, there were various elements to it, you know, that made me at times a little bit cynical and that I've had to overcome in my, in my, well, in my life, not just my professional career, you know, the Salt Lake Tribune, when the story really sort of broke and it went viral, they mistakenly published that I was behind it, that I was the mastermind behind it. And I remember having to get in contact with them. And this was picked up by Deadspin and USA Today. And I had to get in contact with all of them. And I, I was so hurt. Luckily, I had evidence, you know, that I was not, I had an email that I had sent that said I wasn't behind it. But I was hurt for them, too. I was hurt for these writers because I knew they had made a, a really devastating mistake that I think they would really uh, regret. And I knew they did regret. There was a retraction and another story published in the Salt Lake Tribune. But it, it showed me, you know, 
the line between villain and hero is so thin because for about an hour and a half, I was like the biggest villain. And then, you know, five or six hours later, uh, you know, people are putting me on their shoulders and say, this was the guy who tried to stop it. This guy's such a huge hero. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I just said, well, I, you know, I don't know what to think, but it shows, it goes to show you how sort of arbitrary some of those, those stories are. Um, and it's funny to me because I think in minor league baseball, I think there are people who kind of look at my work and they see these videos that go viral and they said, well, this guy might cross the line sometime and say something offensive. And I kind of smiled because I think, well, see, you don't, you don't remember, you know, what happened five <laughs> years ago, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the one necessarily. I'm not going to hold that over your head. If yeah. you want to do the research and, and find somebody who's really going to do a great job for you, not just on the microphone, but as an, an ethical person, right? then I'm your person. But if you don't want to research that or you don't want to, um, you know, put that effort, you know, I mean, that's, that's your loss. I, I'm sorry if I'm down the rabbit hole here, but you know, I had to, <laughs> I, I want to yeah. know what, so how did I just, Oh God, that's just so, so I, I looked at the demographics of Orem, Utah and it's 89.3% white. <laughs> like, yeah. So I can people understand the goddamn state. I mean, so we live in San Diego. We live in a large city. It's a metropolitan place. We've got all mm -hmm. different races and colors and religions and all of that. So I, I feel like we get exposed to it. We learn to be understanding and tolerant mm -hmm. and, and sympathetic to the plight of what people deal with. Yeah. But then you go into these rural areas where it's 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 a majority of of of, of white people and they have a whole different outlook on what minority what it means to be a minority in this world so i so but ethics is something that we all we all can relate with yeah. and we all get training on it at some point in our in our career um yeah, as an engineer that's that's something that when i was going through school we had to take a class on ethics and we talked about mm -hmm. having to make decisions about what projects we work for or we're going to be consultant who we're going to consult with and, and because it does it it sticks with you if you had decided to be complicit with that okay i'm just going to go along with it it's what my employer is doing yeah. it could follow you around the rest of your career yeah. well and you know the interesting thing is is that at the time i was living in mississippi in a town that was about 80 percent or 85 percent african-american yeah. and so it was this thing where i left and you know i went to a completely different community just for that summer and i you know if I had just sort of put my head down and, and acted like I didn't see it, um, you know, I might've escaped from any sort of blame or anything like that. I think, I mean, listen, I, you know, I know the people who were in there pounding the tables and screaming at me about why we should be able to have Caucasian heritage night. And I can tell you for a fact that, you know, there weren't a lot of careers or lives that were affected by that decision. They've been able to go on and continue to work in minor league baseball, at least one of them at a much higher level. Wow. And, you know, perhaps, perhaps she's out there listening to this podcast. Probably not. Probably, but you're okay. <laughs> probably, think, probably not. Right. <clears throat> but probably, probably thinking that she did nothing wrong. And, and, the reason that I never, you know, as I said to those writers when I was correcting the story, I said, I'm not going to sit here and name individual names. Right. I'm not going to sit here and, and throw people under the bus because I'm not going to sink down to their level. Um, it's, it's, it's tough, but, you know, maybe my career would be more – 
Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm very, very proud of what I do, you know, with the Johnson City Cardinals and with St. Mary's University and things like that. But, you know, maybe I'd be working in double A AA or triple A right now, but I don't think I would have had that viral video, you know, that you guys are out there listening to. I don't think that would have happened because I never would have gotten to the point of, um, I mean, in some ways of desperation yeah. to just do that, you have to be able to put, I mean, you got to be able to put the balls to the wall to do something like that. And I said, well, you know, I've already hung my balls out there for, you know, the, for the world. I've already said, you know, go ahead, tear me down, you know, scream at me and tell me, you know, all these racist <laughs> justifications for why you should be able to do this and, and things like that. I, I've already been discredited by some of the biggest newspaper outlets, media outlets in this country, and I'm still going to push forward. And, and uh, it taught, you know, it taught me many lessons. Uh, I don't talk about it that much, so I, I guess I'm kind of opening up here. This is my, this is my confessional you know, psychiatry. <laughs> it's well, therapy. It's therapy. You're laying hour. down. Right. You're laying down right in your head. It's back. a heck of an interest. Well, it's a heck of an interesting thing. I, you know, it and is. I'll say, I'll say this on the milb.com article that we were talking about before the, um, before the, uh, we got on air. You know, if you go back and read that article, they don't even mention it. The writer of the article says in 2015 he resigned from a team over a promotion he disagreed with well i mean what's the promotion he disagreed with you know i mean i you know i found that to be a little bit for me i did well i didn't blame the writer of the story I, you know i understand and there's pr yeah. and there's all this stuff but at the same time i mean come on if you want to tell the whole story of how you know we got from here to there you know, well, come, come on. That's pretty much the crux of the story. Like either tell the story or don't say anything about it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to throw MILB.com or the writer under the bus because I think I have, I have a lot of respect for MILB.com. I think they do a lot of great work and, and it's just like, you know, these other newspapers, you know, I, I still respect the Salt Lake Tribune. I still respect USA Today. Yeah. I still think they do fine work, but you know, at some point, uh, you know, when, when does truth matter in journalism? Well, I mean, come on, there has to still be some, some element to that, I guess. Yeah, well, that article wasn't necessarily about, you know, digging through your entire background. It was more about just like who you are, what you're trying to do, you know, mm -hmm. what, what mm -hmm. makes you interesting and different from all the other broadcasters out there. Uh, so, so shave me, shave had... me. Hold on, shave me, shave my buddy <laughs> like a domesticated, <laughs> like a domesticated sea bass. Sea bass. I had to. Say... Yeah. <laughs> well, in the context, of I the love season, Benjamin Hill. Joe, you're the greatest. In the I context, no, I, of the I, season. I guess I'd have to live the whole moment to to get that. But please explain to me the context. Yeah. Well, there was some other game, and we kept, and I kept referencing it afterward, where I was talking about, you know. I was talking about something and I made some reference to like, I have a sea bass living in a little pool out of my porch and I've got a kiddie pool and I keep a sea bass in there. And I would always talk about that. <laughs> and I told the guys before the, I told the guys oh. before the divisional series, I said, if we're going to win, I thought this was actually my call year. If we win the divisional series against Bristol, at the end of it, I'm going to say dog milk, dog milk. And we turned a double play and I just screamed out. It was a 10, eight game with first and second one out. So it was right on the cusp. And we got a ground ball at the third base, and we turned a 5-3 double play, and I just screamed out, dog milk, dog milk. 
2% unpasteurized dog formula. Hey, either that dog milk's got me seeing double or the Cardinals just turned two and we won. And I thought, oh, I got to I gotta figure out something else to tell them I'll say if we win the thing. So I just, I don't know why I came up with it, but I actually, t- I said, well, I, I'll, sh- you know, shave me like a domesticated sea bass uh, for whatever reason. I just told him, you know why? Because I just said, I just, I, I want them to look forward to that. To yeah. think, oh man, somebody's just doing something crazy in my own small, small way. So that was, that was the reason I said that. Oh, some people hated it. You know, some people loved it. If you listen, though, it made sense in the context yeah. of the season. But that was, yeah. that was how far we were. And I love that Ben Hill shared it. You know, don't get me wrong. I 100% love it that he shared it. Um, only the true hardcore fans, it seemed random as hell. But the truth was, was that it wasn't that random. It made sense <laughs> in the context of everything we've been talking about. So I guess that's that's kind of what you want. Well, you know, you know what I really appreciate about the way you, you know, you broadcast, Joey, is like we we listen to a lot of minor league baseball. We listen, we watch mm-hmm. a lot of MILB TV and mm-hmm. You 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 know, there's a couple of broadcasters out there that are just like, all right, strut ball one, okay, ball one, right? Um, oh, and it's hit to second base, and, and it's it's like you're like oh, you are soulless, you are absolutely soulless, and to have someone to have you know to be so energetic, and and granted, I'm sure you know it's minor league baseball, so there you're not getting the top talent from these guys and the guy that i'm thinking of in particular i think has been there for a very long time um but you you know that's what i love about minor league baseball could you do that in major league baseball i'm sure they would tell you like okay we we, you're sticky but in you so you gotta tone it down a little bit you know but in Mm -hmm. minor league baseball where you're you're independent contractor for you know independent company you can do that you can you can say what you want to say and be kind of zany and it fits in the whole mold of what minor league baseball is. It's fun. It's uh, it's kitschy. Um, you need to have something that brings people to the game. And having that form of you know uh, describing the game as you do uh, makes it very unique and incredibly entertaining. So has yeah. your style changed since you started doing this back in two thousand fourteen? One thousand percent, absolutely. When I was when I first started doing it, I was so afraid of saying something you know, even close to one of these little phrases I do now that I was probably, uh, I was probably way too conservative, but it was still high energy. It was probably too high energy now, believe it or not. I've actually kind of, I've kind of mellowed out, you know, as I've gotten a little bit older and I, I was just, I was so jacked to go to these games. But I used to like, I used to go to a gas station. I buy one of those Starbucks double espresso cans <laughs> and I just shotgun it before every game. Now I just drink like five cups of instant coffee during the game. So I've kind of come down a little bit, but Oh yeah, I was super high energy, but I never wanted to say anything stupid and I never wanted to really take any risks. And I didn't really want to make people laugh. I was very, I was very just like, let's just be about the game. And I think if you actually listen to my broadcast, it still mostly is about the games until something happens. Then I describe it, it's high energy, and then I just have to, you know, I got to throw it, you know, uh, uh, throw in that that little line or something uh, afterward. But, you know, I think that I've done, I think in the last six years, I've probably done about a thousand games. And I've had games where everything's gone right. I've had games where everything has gone wrong. But I've also just, you know, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. There's something 
in minor league baseball, which is joyous and it's zany and it's fun, but there's so many times where you feel like maybe I'm just hollering into the abyss here. Yeah. And it's only, I think it was the great Friedrich Nietzsche who said, you know, it's only when you stare into the abyss that you find the abyss will eventually stare back into you. And I, I believe that a hundred percent is that, you know, you're kind of lost in the anonymity of America. And it's only when you embrace that anonymity and that, that great phrase yeah. from Bob Euchre in major league, you know, or oh, you can't say goddamn on the radio. Oh, who cares? Nobody's listening. Anyway. <laughs> it's, only, it's only when you embrace it that you can truly um, find your own voice and just start having fun with it. So do you have ambitions to work your way up as a major league broadcaster? Yeah. And it, and when that time comes, do you, how much of how much of your current style do you think you can bring with you? Yeah, the game's changing. People are looking for different things on broadcasts, and there's no doubt that the medium itself is changing. The technology is there to do these things from our living room. I actually did a couple of games in the Australian Baseball League around Christmas time. Uh, from my parents' basement, I had to wake up at like two a.m., so it was kind of a it was kind of a tough, you know, because they're playing at a big time difference. My parents were asleep, so I'm I'm like whispering, I'm like, ah, here he comes to bat, and uh, dog milk, it, dog you know, milk. I can't believe, that. yeah, you know, <laughs> I was say I was saying stuff like that, yeah, and uh, you know, but the technology's there. So the question is, when does the art form catch up? You know, when is it that the when is it that the style meets the the dispersed sort of uh, anybody can do it kind of technology. So yeah, I think, I think major league baseball will be looking for people who bring more unique voices to the game. Oh, I plan to bring the whole style, but I don't think that, you know, I'm in my final form yet. I, I think I'm still tweaking what I do. I, you know, I'm still experimenting and figuring out what works and what doesn't, but oh, I, I plan to bring the whole thing because it's worked everywhere. I think that, you know, there've been certain teams or whatever universities and, and, professional teams that have hired me and they've said oh i don't know if this is going to work here and then always at the end of the year they always say the same thing that was the most fun we ever had everybody loved it and it wasn't just another deal people are really taking heart um from this and so oh yeah i plan to go all the way to the major leagues and if not then you know in their own time individuals end up pushing society's bounds and often aren't appreciated. Galileo was in prison. Van Gogh sold one painting a few months before he killed himself. Even Einstein, people remember that he was a patent clerk. But what they forget is that for about 15 years after he published his theory of relativity, the chairs, the great academic chairs of Europe, called him an spent idiot. 15 years yeah. castigating him yeah. and saying, This is impossible. Um, and so, you know, in their own time, people who push art forms forward often aren't you know, rewarded, uh, at least not immediately. So, yeah. Oh, I think that, you know, that's something that I don't think there's going to be tomorrow. Somebody's going to say, Oh yeah, Joe, you know, why don't you come up here and do it? But I can slowly see minds changing and I think I'll be there to, to hopefully help, you know, uh, fill that void. Well, you know, just real quick, as we go on the A's, you talk about different where this is coming from the, the A's stream all their games online. So, mm. so that radio broadcast are guys that are maybe not necessarily at the game. They could be at home watching that game, but they're streaming it all online. And you have, um, 
you know, and you have like guys like our our for the Padres. If you ever get a chance to watch a Padre game, we have Don Orsillo and Mudcat Grant. Now we've had Mudcat Grant for several years now, but Orsillo just came over uh, from the Red Sox organization about three years ago, I think, and it was like they were separated at birth. They're just. I mean, the game is almost secondary to those two guys ribbing each other, giving each other crap, um, having a blast. And, you know, it's, it's funny to hear fans come into and listen to a game and go like, God, those guys are just stupid idiots. But then you listen to another major league team, you know, like the like the White Sox guys. And it's like, oh, you know, Hawk is fine. But the other guy is like, God Where's your soul? It's like listening well, I mean, to, uh, yeah, I don't know if like Hawks here anymore. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, it's like, oh, there's no soul in the game. Um, our yeah. radio guys, uh, you know, Ted Leitner's been around for 40-odd years, um, and so we call him Uncle Teddy. And he, and so he's getting old enough, and we'll even Jerry Coleman, as he got older, he would forget, like, much like Harry Carey, he would forget things in the game, and it was like, oh, there's a Colemanism. Now it's yeah. kind of like Ted Leitner's turn to become like, oh, he just really said that and has nothing to do with what just <laughs> happened. Well, yes. I feel like I feel like Ted's always injected more of his personality yeah. into how he calls a game than most broadcasters throughout his whole career. And he's become I mean, he's so comfortable in his own skin that he just kind of lets it fly. And people like him. People don't like him. But Don and, and Mark Grant, Mud, Mudcat, we call him. I, they're just they're just awesome. So Don kind of has the same persona that he had with the Red Sox when he was working with Jerry Remy, and there's the famous "Here Comes the Pizza" incident, where there's. Are you familiar with that one, uh, Donovan? No, so, I'm, just, I'm just saying mm-hmm, like I so know what I'm talking foul about. Ball, foul ball goes into the stands, <laughs> and it's like it's like two rows into the stands. Left fielder comes over, tries to make a catch on it. Doesn't yeah. ball goes into the crowd, but yeah. on the replay. You see that this guy's going for the thing, and then all of a sudden this slice of pizza comes in and like hits him on the side of the face. <laughs> and so then they went back and they replayed the thing like over and over, and they were dying, like crying in the booth. Jerry yeah. Remy goes, Oh, here here comes the pizza. And, yeah. and and so that's where Don can he's got this giggle that comes out, and it's just it's infectious. And so Mark Grant is the master of pulling that out of him and knowing what little ways to needle each other. But then when the game is, when it's a good game going on, they definitely buckle it down and it's, it's nuts and bolts and what's going on and providing great insight and describing the plays very well. But with baseball, there's so much open space in between everything. And how do you fill that time and make it interesting for the viewer while on the screen, you got the batter stepping out of the box, adjusting himself, spitting on the ground. Yeah, that's, yeah, you can't describe all of that, but you can talk about other stuff that's going on inside or outside of the ballpark. You know, um, and, and so I think that so Don and Mud are really good at that. They're establishing that here. I think it works well in this market. It might not work so well in Phoenix or yeah. some other areas, but it's I, I think the tides are changing. And I think it's something that makes the younger audience a little bit more engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to expand it to be able to talk to more people, you know, around the stadium baseball um, broadcasts, I think should do a better job to encompass, you know, I, I mean, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was with an independent team. I won't say which one, but I was, I was roommates with the clubhouse manager, uh, a guy named Chris, and I was a few years older than him. 
And he, yeah, we were sort of a mentor-mentee relationship. And, and he was at the stadium one night. It was about 2.30 in the morning. And I was just about to fall asleep back at our apartment. And he calls me and he says, Joe, I just had to run a homeless man out of the stadium with a baseball bat. And, oh. I, said, and I said, what? And he said, I was out on the field very briefly and I came back into the clubhouse and there was a homeless man sitting on the couch in the clubhouse. And I looked at him and I said, who are you? And this guy looks me dead in the eyes and he says, I'm the owner's son. And he said, Chris says, no, you're not. And he said, I banged a baseball bat against a guy. I said, get out of here. And he, he, um, right. You know, he left. And the next night, I used to occasionally sleep at the stadium, especially if we had a day game or something the next day, and I would just kind of post up in the stadium. You got free Wi-Fi, flat screen TV, you know, whatever, they, whatever they're throwing. Whatever they're throwing. They ain't going to pay a lot, you get your stuff. Listen, yeah, when I say I, I would sleep there occasionally, I, I would pretty much sleep there every night. And uh, I remember the next day, I was sitting there with Chris in the clubhouse, and it was about 11 o'clock or 11.30 at night, and... I looked at Chris and I, I said to him, Chris, which one of us will prove to be the homeless man? <laughs> oh, no. I got up shortly thereafter from the clubhouse and I went up to the suites area. We had this great suites area, 14 or 15 suites. And I, I put the chair, I went into my suite, suite 13, I used to call it my apartment or my second home. And I would jam a chair under the handle just in case. And I remember sitting there on the couch and overlooking the field. And I realized I was the homeless man. <laughs> and I had this fear that whole night as I was walking from the clubhouse back to the suites and I was kind of walking around the stadium, I had this fear of course, that I would see him, that I would see this actual person, this transient person. And, you know, it might be in the bathroom, it might be in an office. And I had this whole thing playing in my mind and I would look at him and I would say, who are you? And he would say, I'm you. And, you know, it was almost like a moment of clarity because I, I was living in this stadium. I was living yeah. in this suite that people would pay hundreds of dollars to, to be in. But for me, that was like a moment you know, it was almost like that story I told about the team in Utah where it was like a moment of clarity because yeah. I realized I want to be the homeless man in the high roller suites. I want to be someone who's living outside of bounds. Uh, but I, I mean, I want the, I want the luxury. I want to be up here in the, in the booth. And so I asked Chris if he would, if the guy ever appeared again, you know, have him come to the press box and I would love to interview this guy you know, about his experiences. Why do you feel like you have to, you know, sleep in the stadium and, and what are some of the challenges in your life and things like that? And, and I mean, well, I mean, it's not a typical baseball story. I don't, right. I've never even heard outside of Chris's experience. I've never heard anyone who's had to, had to, you know, usually squirrels <laughs> or some kind of wild animal or a deer. Or... Right. Had to <laughs> leave the stadium, ask someone to leave the stadium like that after hours. But, um, you know, but that's what baseball is all about. You know, there's sort of this haunting element to it. Yeah. I wish there could be some sort of, uh, you know, acknowledgement of that. So I, I feel like there's a there's a Twilight Zone episode in there somewhere. Right. Where no, I'm, no. I'm you. I'm you. 100. Yeah. percent Yeah. Almost man of the high roller suite. 
Oh, so talk talk about you know haunting. Um, you know, Johnston City is one of the forty two teams that were on the list to be contracted. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That what? Obviously, there's no minor league baseball, and it's not looking very pretty for mm-hmm. uh, for the season for minor league baseball. What has the team told you? Um, have you heard any of their plans of what they what they plan to do if there is no season? Yeah, it's all just wait and see right now. I really don't know, and I don't think anybody really knows anything okay. for sure. So I can't I can't really say, you know, sort of what the what the next move is. I can just say that you know, if over the long term, there's not you know a, an affiliate team in that area. I think it's going to be very disappointing. It's going to be so tough for that area. Um, just a stomach, you know, I remember this coronavirus thing hit and I was in Texas at the time and I drove back up to, to kind of stay with my family here in St. Louis. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, you know, if the minor league baseball season doesn't happen, don't feel bad for me because that's just one part of what I do. I just, you know, I do that in the summer and I do college athletics and stuff, but feel bad for the people who have grown up with this for 40 50 years and we were in Bluefield over the 4th of July and you sit at the top of the stadium in the last row if you're the visiting broadcaster there and there were these guys you know they just kind of come up and sit elderly gentlemen they just set up their chairs up there and sit and I was talking to one of them and he said you know I've been coming to this stadium since the Truman administration and I said I said hey I'm from Missouri. I know all about the Truman administration. And uh, we, we tied it. I said, boy, that was, I think, you know, 1945 to 1953 that he was, he was the president. So there's so much tradition uh, and just so many, you know, people have these, these deep, deep connections to these teams and have really grown up uh, with them. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the nuts and bolts are. I don't know if that 42, you know, who knows what's going to happen right. with any of that stuff. But, so, so, Talking and that's and that's huge because in the middle of Tennessee, there's where's the region? Where's the nearest? Who are are those people fans of the Cardinals? Are the you know mm-hmm. the Kingsport, you know fans? Are they are they fans of the Mets? Or cause yeah. like up here in San Diego at Lake Elsinore, it's a Padres a high A affiliate. But you walk in the concourse, you see Angels, you see Dodgers, you see sure. you hardly see you see only a few Padres, but most of the people are there because it's almost a thing to do. And right. oh look, there's a baseball game, right? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of Cardinals fans down there, and um, yeah, our our PA guy at the stadium, he was definitely a fan of the Cardinals. He was a fan of the Mets though as well, and so I think the Kingsport connection helps with that. I, I don't even know though what the, I, I mean, I guess the Braves maybe would be the closest um, major league team. There's not, you know, but that that's the that's what's gosh, it's so fascinating to me. Growing up in St. Louis, people care about minor league baseball. They care about collegiate baseball, but everything is the Cardinals. And right. they have a franchise that is the most successful franchise in the history of the National League. And they have a great stadium, Bush Stadium, with all these great fans. That's the focal point. And you almost don't learn about, uh, uh, you know, the, the farm system and, and things like that, at least that experience. And it's different, you know, over – over in Johnson City, they really care, even though the roster turns over so much yeah. and it's hard to kind of keep track of all the players that come in and out through the years. Boy, they really care about beating Elizabethton every year. <laughs> the people there love to beat Elizabethton. 
and I just love it, you know, when we all, so, you know, I'm, I'm right at when they hear, hear me making these calls and talking about the games. Oh, they love it. They, they love, you know, having that energy because they take those, those rivalries very personally. And I think that, Oh, it would just be a, it'd be a tragedy to lose it in that area. You know, and, and you're talking about, you know, it is a region's entertainment, uh, I think there's what fifteen thousand people in Johnson City or so, um, mm-hmm. and you also the the role that it plays in the community. With I'm sure there's food drives there. I'm sure there's you know off season mm-hmm. entertainment where there's uh, you know concerts and you know there's a lot of money coming from the team that gets disseminated to local charities. Um, you mm-hmm. know from your local little league to you know to food banks and and whatever and to have that disappear. In the heart, in, in the Appy League, like Elizabethton, it's funny you used to say Elizabethton because it's one of the teams we often cite when we talk mm-hmm. to Jeff Lance was Elizabethton had a choice between putting a million dollars to renovate their police station or to renovate their ballpark. And they chose the ballpark. And Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> a million dollars, huh? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure is like a third of their budget for the year for a small city like Elizabeth. I've never been there, but uh, you know what I mean. Just yeah. and just to lose that kind of, uh, you know, not revenue, but that that impact in the community has got to be huge. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, the soul of baseball is at stake. You know, in America, whether you're talking about the contraction of the minor leagues, or you're talking about. Uh, the dominance of analytics and the way that we just consume baseball today. There's something that's been lost. There's romance and sort of a small town feel uh, that's made it special. And I think that if you're going to extract these teams from mostly rural communities, I mean, Elizabethan and, and Johnson city, Kingsport, Bluefield, I mean, these are, these are rural communities. Yeah. And if you take this away from them, uh, I think the spirit of the sport suffers and, you know, not to be cynical about it, but I mean, the question has to be asked, do the people who are behind this contraction actually care about the spirit of baseball? Do they care about keeping a cultural prevalence for baseball in America? Or are they just concerned about the bottom line? We've given away a lot of the fun of baseball and it's going to take, um, it's going to take a more, generous approach to to grow it back absolutely for sure it's you we the romance is something that's hard you can't quantify that there aren't metrics that that document that and so the movies that that i watched as a kid growing up you know you watch major league bull durham Mm -hmm. um you know the natural and, and there's 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 a romance side to it there's a there's a side that's not quantified in numbers that the experience of actually going to a baseball game you you don't find that on fan graphs you, yeah. you and you can't really i mean blogs do a pretty good job of trying to document it but you need to experience that yourself to really appreciate it and so living it i mean literally living it the way that you did uh i feel like you you kind of seeped that into your bones um so I'm I'm glad to hear that you're carrying that tradition on in in, in a in a way. So you have a new podcast called Hashtag #LCRR. Tell yeah. us what that means and what it's all about. <laughs> well, LCRR of course means freedom, 
And so that's really the staple of it. Uh, but it, it's geared toward sports broadcasting. It's just geared toward, you know, really whatever I'm thinking about on that day. I've only just started doing it. I had to kind of force myself to do the podcast just to get something. I, I just miss the live games, and that's just been my focus. But I'm just trying to learn, really. I don't think I'll ever get, you know, a huge listening audience or, or you know, climb up the ranks of, of iTunes or anything like that. Though I do have a good episode with Mike Rooney here uh, coming out, I think, on Friday. Um, but he had Boog Shambi on lately. Boog Shambi was on. Guys, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been good. But really, I just like to talk to them because I just want to learn whatever they're thinking about, you know baseball broadcasting and, and things like that and so well, i mean the lcr podcast it stands for lock it cock it rock it restock it um and that's you know my home run catchphrase and that's my my <laughs> life philosophy now and all this stuff and so i was just kind of pointing on that but oh I don't, I don't know i i've just been kind of fooling around with it i'm not that good I think that's another thing. Somebody's breaking into somebody's car. Yeah, it's my neighborhood. <laughs> there you go. But uh, maybe I, it's I that just... guy that was sitting on the couch. <laughs> oh no! Get him on the podcast. He's big. Hey, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not very good at interviewing people either. I just, I've never been that good. So I think the podcast is just to kind of get better at that as well. So that's just, I guess that's just why I'm doing. Well, what well, I, I tell you, reach out to Sam. Uh, Sam Levitt, he's the broadcaster for the Sod mm-hmm. Poodles. And, uh, oh, he... I know Sam Levitt. We worked together in the Frontier League okay. in 2015. Well, he has guys on, on – he has a little podcast that he talks to those people, uh, talks to other broadcasters a lot. Um, yeah, the Sodcast. Yeah, the, well, the Sodcast, he has that. And then he also has one uh-huh. where it's actual podcast where it's a Sam Levitt baseball podcast. And he talks to um, – I think he talked to Mike Moz. He talked to another uh, in Florida. He, I think he had some connections to Florida guys, and he had a couple of those guys on. Um, it was really interesting to listen to. Yeah, I, I We will. need to call Sam up and have and talk to him on our show. Yeah, we do. Well, I'm surprised you guys haven't done that because it's the Padres. It's the Friars yeah. on the farm. He is the Friar on the farm. He, he, uh, we're two guys with ADD, and so we're uh, all over the place about – who are, right. we, who are we going to talk to this week? I don't know. It's like Pinky and the Brain, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I understand that. It's been random for me as well on the podcast. I talked to a writer from Robot Chicken on the second episode. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was – I just was random. I just, I just tweeted. I didn't think she would even tweet back. Dude, and I was like, well, now I'm in it. We <laughs> love Robot Chicken in my household. And it's funny because my wife grew up a writer. Oh, she yeah. she had I, – I, I'll never say liberal arts uh, degree is a bad thing. And she's from NYC, NYU. Um, she became a screenwriter, and and so oh, yeah. um, she's not now, but she was, you know, earlier. Um, you know, with all this kind of the creativity and how you broadcast, I'm surprised you haven't really tried to maybe sought that avenue of uh, of being a writer. You know, either comedy or you know, just kind of get your foot in the door that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to do stand up. And I just, I got too depressed doing it. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore after a while. But I, I didn't know if it was the right thing for me. I did that in college and right after college. And a lot of people do the same thing every time in that avenue. And I was more interested in trying to do something different every time. I remember once I got up there and I gave a dramatic recitation of Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. (laughs) And I just... By the end of it, I was in the crowd. And I was just screaming the lyrics, and people were laughing and cheering. And I remember going home that night, and I was like, "How am I ever going to top that? I got to come up with something else." 
And I uh, ended up going out the next night and I recited Stillborn by Sylvia Plath. Oh my God. <laughs> she had her head about halfway in the oven when she wrote that one. Let me tell you that much. Uh, went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> Nobody laughed. <laughs> and there was such a, there was such a strong resentment, you know, toward, it was just like, God, I kind of felt like I better get out of here before somebody, you know, snaps. <laughs> Um, and I, I, but no, but uh, on a serious note, I know I said it was depressing, but you know, I have, I have wanted to do that. And I have wanted to, I kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked by, by, oh, I mean, just doing this, the broadcasting yeah. kind of throwing myself into it. But, um, yeah, you know, this coronavirus deal has me thinking about everything I've been thinking about, you know, should I branch out? Should I be doing that stuff, more stuff like that? So, yeah, I mean, it's a hundred percent, you know. All right. Well, so you're. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have anything you want to talk about? You're. What are you doing right now for work? <laughs> what you... For work, I'm working for Grammarly right now. I'm editing essays online for Grammarly right now. I'm not really doing much uh, without any sports. It's been it's been tough, man. It's it really has been. Um, so I do substitute teaching as well. Okay. Uh, a lot of people don't, you know, think that I could do that. And they think I'm just up there cracking one-liners, but really I'm a strict disciplinarian with the kids. They all, you know, fall into line and I almost never tell jokes. I kind of do it. It's almost like a character, you know, I, I have to be that way, real buttoned down in order to be real goofy when I do the sports broadcasting, but not to, you know, not to have that either. It's kind of hurt my income as well, just mm-hmm. with the schools being shut down, but Oh, I've been trying to do stuff. I mean, if anybody needs a, an essay, you know, proofread, send it my way on Grammarly. We only we only edit things in snippets. You don't actually edit a full piece. They send you just like a paragraph. And they send one of the other editors a different paragraph. Uh, so if anybody needs that, they can send that to me or just, you know, tweet it at me. I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> I'm going to send all my tweets. I'm well known in our Twitter I think community. The, I think that's the strangest offer we've had on our podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I've been trying to drum up some other business. You know, it's been tough in many ways. It really has been. It's been it's really, a hustle. really hard. Yeah, it's been, it's been something at least. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, God, I hope sports come back and I hope people will still, you know, but I'll, I'll give the real pitch, you know, for the for the sports broadcasting. You know, if you want something different that your fans will love, then reach out to me. If you want something that's going to stand out, then reach out to me. If you don't want that, then, you know, keep doing what you're doing. But, <laughs> but keep me in mind. I, you know, I don't have any, I'm not going to try to strong arm any. I get rejected all the time, but rejected from probably 97% of the jobs I've ever applied for. And I've had to go on the floor, you know, at times and, you know, beg people say, God, please, please, please. But, you know, if you want something different, if you want something that's going to stand out in the modern world, and if you want to just have fun and sports broadcasting and forget about your troubles for a couple hours every night, then contact me because I don't have any price range. I don't have any, uh specifications all that i ask is that you're ethical and that you're people of integrity and that you stand for for what you say and you say what you stand for and you like sports and you don't worry about what other people think you don't worry about uh tradition you don't worry about those kind of things you just have fun and if you want that then please reach out because i have uh 
you know, a proselytizing element to this in some ways. I have something that I'm trying to spread, which is something that's all too rare in this world now. And that's, that's a, that's a joy around sports. So, you know, call me up and I'll be your Francis of Assisi. I'll put myself out there and come to you in a, 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 a <laughs> hair sweater, you know, and stand outside your window and, and croon for you in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, that actually works do. pretty well for the San Diego Padres. <laughs> yeah, you're you're pretty fun. much describing our mascot right there. Well, <laughs> I'd have to think about the Padres. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we no, appreciate you taking the time with us. Um, we're going to send it off with your your championship call. But before we kick it to that, I just want to thank you for uh, for spending some time and having a good time yeah. with us. Well, thanks a lot, you guys. This was a lot of fun. I should have thought of this before I've flown on down